Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the fruited plain. My name is George, N2APB, and with me here is co-host Joe, N2CX. And uh, per usual, we are pleased to be bringing you another episode of Chat with the Designers on a bi-weekly basis, actually. And um, we are currently... Um, probably rounding third base and heading for home on the Elmer 101 series. of, uh, And this time we're going to be speaking about the RX uh, product detector and audio preamp. The receive product detector, which ultimately takes the, uh, the, uh, the output of the, uh, the 7 megahertz uh, IF and brings that down to audio baseband. And then the audio preamp is going to be uh, amplifying that signal a little bit with some filtering. And uh, and then we're almost going to be done. Gosh, Joe, I think, uh, I think we've only got like two episodes after this. Mike, you can chime in here too. I think uh, all that will be left will be the audio final amplifier, which actually, you know, connects to, the, to your speakers, your headphones. And the transmit final. Is that about right, Joe? Mike? Yeah, yeah let Mike answer that. that. Yes, yes, that does, does sound right. right. Okay. And after we're done with those last uh, two stages, and maybe we'll do it all in the same episode, I have to take a look at how much there is, um, you know, the quantity of, of what we have there. But ultimately... Um, we want to get into some special projects with the SW30, uh, whether it's measurement, whether it's, um, I think, Joe, we had uh, we had a plan up our sleeve, even even though the guys on the video can see that I'm not wearing any sleeves, um, to uh, do some, some uh, performance measurement or comparison things. Do you recall what, what we had in mind there? Oh, shucks. Oh, shucks. That's, that's been so long ago. I don't remember too much of it. No. Ah, hmm. That's interesting. There is some feedback from somebody. Is that you, George? Uh, it could be. Um, it shouldn't be, but um, I don't know how that... Uh, I'm getting confused with all my video and audio paths now. I'll, I'll unkey when I'm not uh, speaking. But, uh, yeah, minimally, what we'll do is probably, um, we'll certainly do a big wrap-up section. Um, but also something tonight, we wanted to really kind of announce uh, maybe the obvious for some of you guys, is that we have a live video channel going. A live video channel is going in parallel with TeamSpeak. And um, those of you, we have we have three. Or maybe more. I can I can only see three right now. Maybe there are uh, uh, some others, but uh, three or more people are on the video link right now. And they are seeing me in my shack and um, see me talk. Now, that's not overly exciting. So what we're going to do is use that video channel to show some things later on in the show here. And um, we'll see how this goes. It should, it could be interesting. We could, we, it kind of opens up a new dimension. Uh, Joe and I had, uh, you and I had been thinking about this for some time, and I came across this Zoom video client that we talked about in the email and at the top of the whiteboard here. Um, and Joe, if you haven't done it already, can you, um, 
Can you put the Zoom, I'm sorry, the TeamSpeak uh, whiteboard link in the chat box of the TeamSpeak? Thank you. Thank you very much. So um, what we've been doing is uh, had some things that we wanted to try out. Another thing, maybe it'll come along in the future if I can figure out a way to make it happen, is to have a live whiteboard. A live whiteboard. In other words, um, for me to be able to wiggle my cursor, uh, my mouse, and be able to point and click and bring up things. In other words, to transmit the video of my screen um, uh, so all listeners, uh, so all watchers could actually see what's cooking. So that'll bring another dimension. I think I know how to do it, but first steps first. Um, Joe, I know you're not too much of a big fan about uh, the video, only because of the different cables and platform issues and for that reason, I think we'll we'll take things slowly, and uh, allow allow guys to kind of catch up with us and try things out. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think by next uh, next program, I'd have stuff going. Um, fiddled with a darn uh, um, tablet today. Tried to get Teamspeak running on it, and it runs, but it's not very good. I got to go to a different tablet. Too too darn many platforms will get running at once, unfortunately. Oh yeah, Moses had that problem when he was searching for a tablet way back uh, back when, you know. So, well, I think we'll overcome it just as he did, and uh, we'll have our own commandments here on on chat with the designers. Um, so this and with thing. your and with your coffee instead of your milk beverage, you won't be getting stoned tonight. <laughs> oh boy, you guys don't know. Joe and I sometimes have a side channel going on during the show. And, uh, you know, so we can kind of collaborate and, hey, Joe, talk about this. And, George, you forgot to mention that. Or, George, you were you were wrong when you explained that. And I take that all with a great, great big uh, um, welcome, Matt. I don't mind that at all. But uh, Joe sometimes sees what I drink during the shows. Those tend to be the livelier shows, too. But that's okay. This is after hours. The day job is done, and I'm settling back and having a great old time here. We had chat with the designers. The other thing that we wanted to really announce, kind of a big thing for everybody, is that we are going to, we are opening up as of now, actually as soon as I get the web page up, a contest, a contest for soft, uh, for um, SW30 builders. And uh, um, I, I didn't get a chance to get the web page up, but there's going to be three categories. Joe, can you help me remember what the categories were? Now you're going to tax my memory. Okay. One is um, the stock SW30, who has done the best job of uh, building an SW30 in the um, in the uh, nice red PC board case. Uh, another is um, custom, I believe it was custom cases with the SW30. And the third was um, what kind of other doodads and uh, uh, add-ons have you uh, done in the most creative way with the SW30. That sound about right? That's absolutely right. Accessorize. Yeah, so the three categories are, thank you for reminding me here, the three categories are um, a custom custom build-up and enclosure, something beyond the circuit board just sitting on your bench uh, with wires going all over. And um, the second category would be, as you said, building it up inside the red enclosure now, you might think, you know, why and why to do that with a 
why that category with such a uh, with uh, you know the red enclosure is the pre-cut holes and the labels and all you do is drop the circuit board in and wire it up but if any of you have gotten to this point yet you will know exactly what I mean relative to how neat or <clears throat> unneat can the wiring and positioning of things on the inside be so that's kind of the second category how nicely can you get the uh, the nice uh, Craig Johnson um, red PCB enclosure working uh, or put together there with your rig. And uh, the uh, the third category, Joe, as you said, was uh, uh, how many pounds can fit into a, a five-pound bag or something like that? How many accessories can you get into it? Or the accessory case that Craig has nicely provided for us all. And um, that's uh, that. We've been indicating some cool things underway, and I think you're going to see them tonight. There, you guys, there on the on the video channel, you're going to see this tonight, and I think uh, um, uh, hopefully it'll give you some ideas. Now, there's uh, the the prizes. I got to mention the prizes. Now, some of you guys might think these are not overly cool or whatever, but these are things that you really can't have too many things of. Each winner in each of the three categories. Um, only one winner per per uh, uh, per group. Um, each winner is going to get, and I'll just kind of rattle things off. We'll kind of figure out how this all comes about. Uh, but um, um, a brand new PCB enclosure. Okay, that's cool. You can't have too many of those, so you get a second one, a third one, or a fourth one, whatever you might have. Um, another freak might. Another uh, um, another. Uh, Oh, one of one of Craig's nifty keyers. We're going to see that. You will see that pictured down the uh, the whiteboard a little bit here. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And um, oh golly, oh 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 oh, an Arduino. Yes, yes, uh, Mildred. We are going to have an Arduino. It'll be a Nano, and uh, it'll be coincidentally coming along about the time frame of our Arduino project. Um, that's one of the nifty projects that I want to mention uh, in just a moment. But we're going to have some really cool, uh, uh, cool prizes, and all you have to do, all you have to do is get it built up and working. It's got to be working, guys. Um, and how are we going to demonstrate that it's working? Well, we've got this really nifty video channel now that, I, that Joe and I and Craig and... Uh, Dave Benson himself are going to be able to uh, judge and the average of our scores for the categories that we've indicated for the quality and functional performance, or Joe likes to say functionality, um, but the functional performance um, is all, all kind of comes into play for the, uh, the, uh, the winning, uh, the ratings that will determine the winners. So, We'll get a web page up on that shortly, but we thought, what better way, Joe, to to kind of finish off the series? And I think, oh yeah, we put the uh, at the end of end of September, right, Joe? Yeah, that's what you said. And I have a um, I have uh, extra credit points for those who actually get on the air and use the radio too. Ah, okay. Oh, awesome. We could have a contact the chat with the designers over the radio waves on ten on thirty meters. That will be 
hey, here's here's something totally asynchronous. As I was kind of checking things out here on my own SW30, um, around about uh, 10.090, 10.090, I heard a very strange beacon. Um, it was just a one-second tone, on and off, on and off. And this was about at 730, uh, yeah, 7.30 or so. Has anybody heard anything like that before on 10 meters, uh, 30 meters? I guess not. And it was really strong. I was searching my shack up and down looking for one of my uh, GPS um, receivers and uh, oscillators. You know how they give a one pulse per second kind of thing. That's what I was thinking might have been getting into the rig. But I didn't see it. And then it went away. So anyways, just really, really strange. Okay. Um, so again, tonight's episode is going to be about the uh, Receive product detector and the audio preamp. Two very important parts. Well, they're all important parts. If you can't have a radio without, uh, without any of them, uh, with, with any one of them missing. So I think uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the uh, modus operandi. But that's okay. Joe, I don't know if you saw this yet, but if you slide down and take a look at the uh, that that um, colorful diagram that I introduced last week, the anatomy of a homebrew station, um, I've been able to doctor that up and kind of make some headway relative to the master plan. And if you, if anybody here on the show, um, Bill, you got to pay attention. Hey, Bill, over here. Ah, he's not even listening on the video channel. Uh, see, it goes two ways now. So if you slide your mouse, if you hover your mouse over different portions of that diagram, um, I figured out a way to create a hot link to very specific areas, um, other web pages. And the goal is to eventually, and it's already started, as you will see in some of these uh, links, is to vector over to a web page, a chat with the designer web page that talks about a specific um, um, that specific topic. In other words, uh, if you're looking at, uh, you would see the uh, the laser beam digital filter from Soda Beams, and if you hover your mouse over that, what it does right now is link over to the right now it links over to the Soda Beams page. You would actually see that particular product, and we're going to talk about that. I'm going to be talking about that this show, and. Um, Eventually, we'll have a web page up that talks about, that explains and details my exploits in getting the Soda Beams audio filter um, built into my SW30, as well as other people who have taken other types of uh, uh, audio filters and gotten them into theirs. So this is almost going to be like a huge graphical menu that... Um, chat with the designer, listeners, podcasters can look at and refer to and see the broad, the, the broad brush stroke of um, broad brush stroke of all the different projects that we've either got going um, in the shack or somebody in the show has got going. Now, um, we are known to be overtly ambitious, but that's okay. Eventually we'll get all the projects done. And I think I'm hoping that, um, 
you know, you guys will, you'll appreciate this resource as much as uh, Joe and I are doing right now. We kind of share an awful lot of our technical progress and such. Joe, does that make sense that anatomy of a homebrew station is a kind of evolving a little bit now to flesh out more of what I was describing before? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the uh, tying everything together with some of the uh, uh, material we've covered before too, and, and amplifying on it to, um, to keep things rolling, and uh, I'm I'm a big one for liking to have in my head mental links, and this is uh, the uh, chat with the designers uh, uh, version of that, having uh, the uh, the actual links on the web page to tie everything together, make a big whole picture. Oh yes, indeed. So I I think the show chat with the designers is a lot about just giving visibility to the homebrew projects and the activities that are going on and are or can be going on and almost give you an opportunity to pick and choose what you wish to employ by the way i glanced over to the video channel we've got about 12 guys 12 people are, are signed in on the video channel and i hope you all are seeing me if if you didn't mention it before or if i didn't hear it before when you logged in just make sure that you've got your video client, the Zoom client, on mute. And um, and um, if you are using the same machine for both the Zoom and TeamSpeak, make sure you're using headphones so you don't get uh, feedback whenever you do want to transmit uh, audio. And again, trans we, we, talk over, we talk over TeamSpeak, we watch over Zoom. Okay, so now um, with all those preliminaries out of the way, Joe, why don't you, uh, I really like the section that you proposed and and started up last week, and I really, uh, I have already found some value in it. Joe's, or actually it's called N2CX Bench Tips. Bench Tips. And I think uh, every every episode we are thinking of, to, of offering some relevant, i.e. some uh, related information, guidance, and tips. Um to what has been taught, what is being talked about in the current show, or maybe the last show. But uh, Joe, um, want to take it over here and talk a little bit about effective spacing of L1 turns? Absolutely, George. Yeah, thank you. Well, as it turned out, um, some folks have mentioned uh, some difficulty of getting their BFO on frequency. Had to fuss with the uh, toroid um, to get it on. And in fact, I think they may have had to. Uh, Add or remove turns. Um, so just to character, I, I turns out I didn't have to, but just to characterize uh, what could be done, um, I did a little check on uh, on my toroid VFO to see what kind of range I could get. Now uh, on a on a toroid core, um, normally they're the uh, coils if they're well designed take up uh, about three quarters of the core. They spread the turns out fairly, uh, fairly uh, evenly across the core. But as you, if you have them uh, a little more tightly compressed or spread apart on the core, it will change the effect of inductance. I think it's mainly due to uh, self-capacitance in the winding. So anyway, what I did was, uh, I first, uh, with a torch, as I first wound it, I checked the tuning range of the VFO. It should nominally be. Um, 2.4 something kilohertz, and I got a, a range of about 30 kilohertz, uh, 24, 2.43 to 2.463. Uh, 
And then I compressed the turns, checked again, and it was 2.35 to 2.47. So it moved down a little bit in frequency. And then um, um, I spread the turns out, measured again, and I went up to 2.445 to 2.478. So there is an adjustment range there of about 60 kilohertz where you can uh, uh, hopefully tweak the, uh, the toroid to get it uh, in, the, in the band, to get it to tune the proper uh, part of the 10 meter, I'm sorry, the 10, uh, 30 meter band um, without having to add or remove turns. It's fairly simple to do. The way I did it was to use my KX3 as just a, uh, a general coverage receiver. Um, it tunes from uh, down below the broadcast band up to uh, 30 megahertz continuously. So I set the mode to CW with a fairly wide band pass of a kilohertz or so and used tuning steps of 100 hertz. And I just tuned across the uh, frequency of interest. I knew it was going to be 2.4 something megahertz. So I tuned in that region uh, until, I heard, uh, until I heard the VFO. Now the antenna I used was just an 18 inch hunk of wire laying on the bench uh, next to the SW30 which uh, coupled plenty of signal into the, uh, into the receiver. So as I tuned it and zero beat it, I could uh, read the frequency off the display and see where the VFO was tuned. Simple thing, uh, doesn't take any special um, talent, or any special test equipment. Uh, assuming you have a decent uh, general coverage receiver in the shack, um, you can all do it yourself. And yeah. um, that's the tip for tonight. Yeah, you could do that the other way around too, as long as you put a dummy load or loosely couple your your transmitter, your your SW30 transmitter, um, and actually listen to not just the VFO signal but the actual transmitted signal. In this case, it would be around 10.1 uh, megahertz or so, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I didn't get that far along to be able to transmit. Yeah. That is entirely uh, doable and uh, probably means more than uh, just the raw frequency of the VFO because it'll be the uh, the real output signal frequency. Good point. Yeah. Good stuff, Joe. And I think oh, one thing I wanted to ask you, too, the self-capacitance, that always kind of puzzled me. Um, can you explain a little bit about the self-capacitance of, of windings and how that comes about and and why, of course, widening or um, compressing the the turns is going to be affecting that as much as it does. Sure. Any any conductor close to any other conductor has uh, some capacitance, capacitance between the turns. Um, so that that adds to any external capacitance you might have across the inductor. So um, it it actually makes it. Uh, seem like the inductance uh, is higher than, uh, than it would be by uh, calculation. So by adjusting the, uh, the spacing between the turns as they're wider apart, you get less capacitance. So it would tune a little higher. As you compress the turns together, you get a little more capacitance and uh, it tunes lower. There is another effect that uh, toroids are not perfect. Um, that let's say, uh, um, Enhanced permeability cores, be they toroids or loop sticks or whatever, are not perfect. And there is some effect by bench, bunching turns together that uh, affects the frequency or the, uh, the effect of uh, inductance. 
But I think it's mainly because of the capacitance, because the uh, turns are close to each other and uh, and uh, act as like little uh, parallel capacitors over the whole uh, the whole winding. Very cool. I'm not. I don't remember seeing a treatise on that. Um, anything more than a paragraph or two um, in passing, either in the handbook or in EMRFD, or even in like QQ magazine. Um, is there has there been anybody who's really studied it? I, I think maybe someone like yourself or Jim Corchy, K eight I Q Y, I Y Q I Q Y would have uh, been a um, a good person to be doing that. I think uh, Wes Hayward has mentioned it. I'm not sure if it was in EMRFD or it was on his webpage. He has made mention of it. Uh, and I remember Mike Shuizuski, W-A-8-M-C-Q, did run something in his um, um, information exchange column in one of the QRP quarterlies where he um, measured a bunch of toroids with uh, various uh, amounts of... Um, squishing the turns together or spreading them apart to to show the inductance he measured on a uh, Q-meter. I'll have to look that reference up and I'll uh, I'll get it over to you uh, sometime in the next week. All right. I would like that. In fact, if you can, and if we can publish it on uh, our website here with properly attributed, um, I, I would appreciate that. Good stuff. Hey. Okay. Let's move. Oh, does anybody have a question? Yeah, I was just going to say, back in the in the bad old days before toroids were invented, uh, using that capacitance was the way you got everything tuned up. You'd wire your, run your wire around a pencil and take it off, and then you'd squeeze it or pull it out like an accordion until you got the frequency you wanted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Back in the bad old days, huh? <laughs> oh, boy. Um. Okay, I want to move along kind of quickly here. Um, we do have good material to cover for the show, uh, for the Elmer 101 series stuff, and um, I had a couple more things I wanted to cover here. Plus, I think we're going to be uh, closing the, the the program down right at nine o'clock local time here tonight. Um, I've got a call to get on uh, for the day job, which happens to be day in Singapore, but nonetheless, I've got to talk with Singapore. Um, at nine o'clock. So um, I'll need to depart, but Joe might be able to just uh, to finish it off and close it down. But generally, we want to move right along here. Craig, so um, I really like, you and I have been chatting about your new keyer, your minimalistic, your internal minimal keyer. And I really like what uh, what you've been doing with this. And as you can see here on the whiteboard, everybody, uh, Craig has shared some photos of his installation of his internal keyer. I'm in the process of doing that. You'll see mine in just a moment. Actually, mine is pictured there, but you'll see it live on the video channel. Uh, and actually, I'll be able to do some uh, audio, too, uh, of the filter in place. But we wanted to talk briefly first about the keyer. Craig, can you tell us some stories about this? Okay. Hi, George and group. Um, yeah, I originally was going to use a, a previous board that we had uh, for an external keyer that I have from an easy keyer. And uh, after I mounted one inside a board, I realized it was a little bigger than it needed to be. Uh, with uh, Since it's internal, you don't need the external jacks and all kinds of stuff that was on the board. 
Um, so I decided it was just too big and bulky, so I reduced the square inches from, I think, four inches down to an inch and a half uh, square inches. So uh, it's really small. You can see there. Uh, it's held onto the, in my case, the top cover by just the th three screws going through and uh, nuts on top, and that holds it in place. Uh, if you want to just use one button uh, for the command button and not worry about the messages for the other two, you can do that and one button will hold it on just fine. Um, and uh, it's a real simple little circuit. Most of the code was uh, the same as what I had before, but I did port it to a new smaller pick, just a little uh, eight pin pick now, and it got all the functionality that we need. And it uh, feeds right into the audio uh, chain, you know, through that 100K resistor in this case, uh, and a 0.1 UF uh, capacitor, and uh, keys the transmitter just fine through a one uh, transistor. It also has a voltage regulator on the board now, instead of having to worry about picking off just the right voltage or else having a voltage divider on it. So that's all taken care of now, and uh, so I'm really, uh, really pleased with it. Uh, I've got it running well, the code's running well, and I just sent off to get a new batch of prototype boards made, and hopefully this will be production boards as well. So we're just uh, waiting for those to come in and do a little beta testing on it just to make uh, completely sure and then we should be able to go with it. And it's going to be very inexpensive. I believe it's going to be $17. Uh, it's going to be sold to the Four States QRP Club, and uh, like we've done some of the other things. And uh, so we're look, really looking forward to, I think it should be a fun little keyer. It works very nicely inside uh, the SW30. It's a real nice match. And it sounds really good. Uh, you see, you hear the internal uh, side tone from the SW30, and you hear the commands and everything there when you push the button, and uh, it should work really well. So we're looking forward to it. Thanks, Craig. That's really terrific progress. And um, again, just for the uh, the record, can you say when you think that kit will be available? Yeah, uh, I think the boards are going to be here It'll probably be another week and a half um, by shipping and everything. And, uh, and then we've got to do a little bit of beta testing on it, but uh, I would think within three weeks or so I'm, I'm shooting for uh, to be able to have the thing ready to go. Okay, good. That sounds great. Um, thanks an awful lot for that. Um, I noted your, uh, your mounting technique for it in the, in the box. Can you describe that just real briefly? Yeah, in this case, I just used the, the three uh, buttons, three push buttons, and I made three holes in the top cover next to the edge and uh, pop the three push buttons through there. By the way, somebody's got an unmuted microphone, I think. Uh, pop the three of them through the, through the top, put the nuts on, and that's all that's needed to hold it on. And then ran the wires to the several places that needs to go, to the CW jack, to the audio chain, uh, goes to the same resistor that the frequency mic goes to, and uh, the power and ground, and uh, that's about it. So, and yeah, so, uh, really, and the key, of course. Um, but it it's really goes together very easily in just a few wires. Mine looks like kind of a mess there. I did not work for the neatest job in the world. <laughs> I was trying to get something done quickly and uh, make sure the concept worked. All right, that's great. Thank you. And um, if you're if you're just coming online with a Zoom client, be sure that you've got the audio. Um, microphone in the lower left-hand corner of your Zoom window. Make sure that's uh, got an X through it or a bar through it. Do you want to mute your audio? And that'll help out those other people who are on, on Zoom 
by not getting an awful lot of uh, uh, feedback. Okay, and I also see that uh, in your in your photo there, Craig, uh, you've got the frequency mite mounted with a uh, a little ninety degree um, angle uh, mounting device, and and that's that's kind of interesting. I want to contrast that comes with it. That's standard equipment with the frequency mite, that one little angle uh, with screws for it. So you could, there's a one little hole in the frequency mite for that. So you just pop the one little screw, it's self-threaded, pop it through the side, self-threaded, and it's mounted very nicely and securely. Okay, good. Um, what I'm going to show in just a moment here, in fact, like right now, we'll open it up for questions uh, or remind you, they can just shout out your questions whenever you like. Um, um, but you'll see in mine what, I t what I've done is taken some double sticky tape and mounted, um, in this case here for me, the DSP board to the inside of the side panel using double sticky. Actually, it's more than double sticky tape. It's double sticky foam. What do you call it? Photo, maybe photo mounting um, foam pad, double sticky things, whatever. It works out really, really well. So uh, Don't leave it in a hot car during the summer. It'll fall off. Uh oh, man. I, if the things start falling off because of heat, I've got a lot of other problems, too. Yeah, I've, I've uh, tried it. And when it gets to about 120 in the car, that even the best uh, double-sided tape won't hold. Well, in that case, thank goodness for fuses, maybe, <laughs> in our projects. The PTZ fuses we talked about last week, Joe, huh? Uh, PTC, positive temperature fuses, yeah, absolutely, yeah, they they work well. Yeah, positively. Okay, let's talk briefly about the soda beams. Um, in the next se uh, section here, you see the soda beams uh, laser beam DSP board. Oh, good, I see Larry, K3PEG is with us uh uh, tonight. Uh, Larry and I have gone in and got a couple of uh, these boards. I think I'm first to actually get it going. And uh, I am thoroughly impressed um, with, uh, with the board. And uh, I've mounted it in my SW30. As you guys hear on the audio, on the video channel, you'll see in just a moment. And even here on TeamSpeak, I'll be able to demonstrate the audio-ness of the filter. <laughs> I like that. Um, and uh, you'll, you'll be able to hear it. Now, there's not an awful lot of action on 10 meter, on 30 meters um, uh, this evening here, which is 8:35 p.m. And even on a good day, there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of activity. So, all truth be told, there's probably not a super reason for putting an audio filter on the SW30. Um, uh, at least a DS, DSP. This thing is what, Joe? I think it's about 60 bucks or so. Do you recall? Yeah, I think it's in that ballpark. Yeah. So, I mean, there's um, there's a freak. My, I'm sorry, not a freak. My day. Um, oh, Craig, what is it called? The audio filter for oh, Dave knows it. Is Dave with us tonight? The high mite? No. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's the uh, hyper mite. Hypermite yep, yep. from the four square uh, four state QRP group, and um, it's an active audio filter, which kind of ties into tonight's episode, and you'll see about that in a moment. Um, but that is a would be a more cost effective way to get some filtering um, into your SW30. But nonetheless, I took the soda beams board, put it in, and I'll demonstrate it in just a moment here. 
but I wanted to mention that um, um, the solar beams, I, I also tried it in, in some of my other rigs, uh, like a 20 meter rig. Now, 20 meters gets, you know, really wicked busy on a Saturday afternoon or any afternoon, of course, down around 14 megahertz or so. And that's when a nice um, steep filtered audio filter uh, comes into handy. And this soda beams is just a fabulous board for that reason. So, um, Joe, why don't you give us some patter or something on uh, audio and what I'm going to on audio filters. And what I'm going to do is uh, move my um, video over to my bench and show what's uh, what this thing is in action. Okay, very good. Yeah, audio filters uh, are kind of an augment to whatever other filtering you might have in your radio to narrow the passband, to, um, as George has mentioned, to eliminate uh, uh, interference from off-frequency signals. Um, the filter in uh, in the uh, freak mite, uh, freak mite, filter in the SW30, the crystal filter, is pretty good, but uh, under um, conditions where there's a lot of activity on a band, as George mentions, like 20 meters during a contest or something, it's nice to have a little extra uh, filtering to uh, to get rid of the side stuff. The other uh, advantage of the DSP filters is that they very they have very steep sides. They um, within their band pass they pass everything, and um, uh, they roll off the other frequencies very sharply, whereas the simple uh, crystal filter in the uh, in the SW30 doesn't have quite as steep sides, so it's uh, it's not quite as effective at uh, getting rid of the uh, side stuff. Um, it's also good for single sideband, which is not a uh, an option on 30 meters. That's CW only, but um, good filtering on single sideband is really good to get rid of some of the uh, side monkey chatter from people who. Um, who are on adjacent channels to uh, to get into your audio and uh, cause problems. Does a, uh, a lot of fun in uh, contests when there's a whole bunch of strong signals and and uh, they kind of bleed across the uh, bleed across your receiver and uh, you hear unwanted noise. Um, how's it coming, George? I guess he's still working. Oh, no, I got it, Joe. I think. So uh, what I've been trying to do is position the. Uh... What I'm going to do is I'm going to put my, hang on a second, I'm going to put my microphone on continuous transmit. Hang on. All right, can you hear me, Joe? Joe, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes, I hear you. Okay, good. So I need like four hands to be doing this here guys on the video channel can see what I'm getting at. What I'm going to do on my side, just as an aside, 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 is uh, get myself, uh, put my client on the, uh, okay, good, put my client on the, my tablet so I can move around much more elegantly than I can right now on, on my PC, my other PC. So what we've got here is my SW30. And uh, I'm going to tune in a signal if there is any. Can you hear the CW there, Joe? 
Certainly can. Okay, so that's without the filter. Actually, it's with the wide position. The soda beams board is in the wide position now. And you notice a lot of the background static. So I'm going to flip in the audio filter now. And I'm going to re-peak it by just tuning. So there's without the filter, and there is with the filter. Without the filter, you can hear a lot of more of the background and the static. And there's with the filter. So you can, the filter is, I think, 500 hertz. And again, the difference between the, uh, the difference between the, um, the SW30's filter, I think, which is at 7. Mike, do you recall what the filter is? The width on the SW30, is it like 700 or 800 hertz? Oh, I want to say it's about 500. Well, it's a little bit more than 500 because I do see here's some noise reduction. Maybe. But uh, my whole point is, is that there's not a tremendous need for this $60 board in your SW30. However, give me a 20-meter board, or a 20-meter transceiver, or another, you know, a full rig, and this can work really, really nice wonders with this DSP processing. For those of you on the video channel, I'm pointing to the mounting here, and what I want to do is tune in the audio, tune, tune in a strong signal, which may be the only signal, on the band. You might have been able to see the red light coming on. There's a red LED that comes on in the presence of strong. It helps you kind of get the right uh, audio level going in. I think you can see the uh, red light going on and off. So anyways... And you'll also notice that the filters are a little bit misaligned. And what I mean by that, what I mean by that is that the audio filter for the uh, for the soda beams is peaked at probably around. This is all documented, but it's probably peaked around uh, uh, maybe 600 hertz, and the audio. Um, the audio for the uh, um, for the SW30 is higher, like maybe 700 hertz. And if you get two filters that are mismatched a little bit, you're not going to a signal can easily escape one, um, uh, escape the filter yet still be heard when the filter is out. If you know what I mean. Nonetheless, George. Yeah. I think that's actually uh, the offset of the BFR, the V, the, uh, yep, yep, that's all folks. This, this echo is very annoying. The, um, I think it's the offset of the BFO in the SW30 is not peak because that is what sets the audio tone through the uh, crystal filter. I'm sorry, say that again now that I have my... My transmit turned off.
Yeah, what I'm saying is the um, the BFO offset, B frequency offset in the SW30 is what sets the center of the passband for where the audio comes out. So if that's tweaked a little bit to line up at the peak frequency of the uh, same as the audio filter, um, they'll they'll be lined up very well. Okay. Yep, indeed. And that, that probably would be uh, the, the trick. Um, your audio dropped down a lot there, Joe, just as an FYI. I think you, you kind of drifted away. By the way, I had a, uh, um, I had a video um, from the Soda, page, Soda Beams page in that box that now shows as an unlinked image next to my, uh, below the picture of the Soda Beam board. So I'll get that fixed. It was fixed before, but you don't if you if you haven't tried web development it, it's sometimes a challenge these uh images and links get you get whipped up by it but anyways that's a little bit of the experimentation for tonight relative to the video demonstrating and and showing what's going on um let me uh also i i wanted to point out two things in case you happen to be trying out the soda beans board yourself and I'm showing this to the guys, um, the guys in the video. But my point is, is that the output of the soda beams has got a an unusual differential output that is ideally suited for input to a differential uh, inputs of an op amp, which would be used to amplify for a speaker. Um, and if you you might not be able to tell from this picture, but in my um, and you, yeah, you can actually see it in the photo. The two outputs, the hot and the ground, as we normally know them of the audio, go to either side of the 3.5 millimeter jack, not the ground. In fact, I had to isolate the darn jack from the ground of the of the chassis in order to keep the integrity of the audio path, which goes in one speaker. You know, if you have your earbuds, goes in one ear. And out the other and doesn't go through ground but anyway that's just something to watch out for um, and also in the you can see you can see how nicely in the video um, you can see how nicely the soda beams board or any board that gets mounted like this can mount to the inside of the chassis with that double sticky foam tape but again as Joe indicated uh, probably it's a, it's good to keep your temperature less than 100, 120 degrees uh, Fahrenheit which is usually a good, a good practice, anyways. Okay, Joe, let's uh, let's quickly move into the and Mike, uh, if you would as well. Um, let's move quickly into the uh, Elmer 101 stuff, and um, the um, the first thing we're talking about here is a product detector. Uh, Mike, if you if you're in a convenient position, I don't know if you're still at campground uh, this. Uh, this week as well, but maybe you can chat a little bit about the uh, the product detector and tell us a little bit about this portion of the circuit. Okay, George, I am out camping again at a different campground, uh, and uh, we've got the output of the crystal filter feeding into the, another CSA612 uh, mixer, and uh, there is a BFO crystal that we talked about, and uh, uh, it's offset a little bit from the 
BFO crystal for the transmit mixer, and that's supposed to give us uh, 800 hertz uh, as the indication of the diagram there. What it actually turns out to be is another story. Uh, coming out of the product detector, we get uh, some indifference uh, of the two input frequencies. Uh, the uh, IF frequency at 7.68 is pretty close to the crystal frequency, so the uh, difference is going to be audio. The sum is going to be around 14 megahertz, and uh, of course that isn't going to amplify through the audio amplifier that follows it very well. Uh, there are some capacitors in there, I think, to try to, to knock that down just to uh, not overload the amplifier. And uh, then the uh, first stage of the NE5532 uh, is a preamp that, that does start uh, uh, amplifying the signal, and there's uh, some interesting circuitry around there to give a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of selectivity, I think, and uh, a little bit of uh, limiting. Uh, so your earphones uh, don't blast your ears too bad when a strong signal comes through. I don't think there's really a lot of AGC in this circuit. So uh, that's a brief introduction to it, at least. All right, that's uh, that's good. Briefer the better. But I mean, the product detector forms the basis of so much of what we do in radio. Of course, how do you get the signal down from? RF all the way down so we can deal with it either at an intermediate frequency, um, which essentially is coming in um, to this diagram you see right there. Uh, previous episodes um, have, um, have shown how we take the RF and we mix it uh, with the local oscillator to get that 7.68 megahertz uh, IF frequency. And this product detector is yet another mixer of the ubiquitous um, SA or any uh, six oh shucks what the heck is it um, any six oh five well I'm I'm any six oh two or SA six twelve there we go I was a uh, uh, number dyslexia so um, yeah and um, we use the that that chip all over the place and you can see where they were right in the board diagrams below we use it in two three spots there we use three of them in the uh in this board um continuing on and looking down at the actual circuit um shown in the kind of the, the rough rough diagram there we've talked a little bit about uh how we've got the the vr signal generated by eight volts coming in through a diode d2 um and uh, that produces a VR signal that's used elsewhere in the circuits. Um, Joe, any other, as I recall, we had quick discussion about how VR is uh, used or why why the purpose of D2, in other words. Uh, D2 is really to uh, keep you from putting too dang much voltage on the uh, on the mixer chip. I think they nominally work at want to work at like five or six volts. I think Dave just stuck a diode in series to get it down or below eight volts because if you run them too hot, um, the darn things will burn up. Uh, they're not designed for 12 volt operation um, or just at a lower voltage. And I think he found that uh, 7.3 volts was, was adequate, keep them protected and, and uh, still be usable. No, right? That might be true. In fact, I'll take a look at the max signal 
uh, voltages on the spec sheet on that, just to check that out. That's always kind of puzzled me. Um, another point too, Joe, is about the, um, again, the ubiquitous uh, 602 or 612 mixer uh, being used here for U3. Again, we've got the, um, we've got a crystal and that's feeding um, or the resonant component of the, an onboard oscillator. Um, you and I have been uh, kind of pondering other kinds of products, uh, projects that we could be using, doing here on Chat with the Designers relative to mixers, again, since they are such a fundamental uh, um, part of our radio operations. Uh, Joe and I <clears throat> had been considering what else we could do with it. And um, this onboard mixer that's um, essentially at the... Um, the entrance of it there is at pins six and seven, and the output is at either pin four or five. Um, is is probably a, is kind of an interesting use for a standalone oscillator in in a pinch, don't you think? Oh yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, you better be getting along shortly. Or you're going to miss your uh, Far East adventure. Indeed. Thank you. Um, let's, let's get into, in fact, I'll, I'll leave this with you and talking about the, um, the audio frequency, uh, preamp. So, um, uh, Joe, why don't you take it over from here? And what I'd like to do, I think is just chat briefly about the active audio filter. Um, again, this material, uh, a couple of the diagrams here were taken from, um, David Eck and his X files. Uh, uh, document, which is referenced at the top of this in the last couple of episodes, an excellent, excellent document, PowerPoint uh, slide deck or PDF, I forgot which, that uh, goes through many of the the simple formulas and base outline um, discussions of the uh, of of the different lessons that we're going through. So here he talks about um, you know the active audio filter with the op amp. And this is exactly what's used in the SW30. And uh, also, this is an indication of the differential input of the op amp that I was talking about earlier, um, that the, um, the soda beams board ideally feeds. Just look at the, uh, the application note for that, and uh, you'll get a feel for what I was talking about. But uh, after, after this, uh, the audio uh, preamp discussion, Joe, um, Obviously, field the questions and and uh, close down the show and and uh, I think that'll that'll be really good and I appreciate that. Go ahead. Very good. Yeah. Um, this again, this uh, this circuit ha does a lot of things with a few components. While it may look complicated, there there's a lot going on there. The um, first half of U4 uh, is an op amp and it it has a um, it has the some of the low-pass filter um, functions that uh, Mike mentioned, along with uh, clipping to prevent uh, too much uh, high-level signals from getting through. But it's really kind of a sloppy, uh, a sloppy filter um, <clears throat> that just basically rolls off high-frequency noise and any stray RF that might have gone through. Um, there's a second uh, uh, half of the op-amp which is indicated on the schematic diagram as the uh, audio frequency final, which is really set up as a, uh, a bandpass filter. It's a broadly tuned bandpass filter, um, peaking the audio around about 800 hertz, I believe it is, um, 
which provides a little bit of gain and it provides a low output impedance to drive a um, mainly headphones. It doesn't have enough uh, real steam to uh, drive headphones, but it, it does uh, do the final audio peaking in the uh, radio and um, uh, provide an output level. We kind of glossed over it, but there's another function between the two op-amp stages, which is a mute switch. When you're transmitting, you'd only hear a loud uh, um, signal, an overloading signal from your own transmitter. So there's a, an FET there, Q1, as I read it on the schematic, that is used as a series switch. When you key down, that, uh, that FET is turned off so that uh, audio feeding between the uh, two audio stages passes through a high resistance resistor, R9, which feeds just enough of the, uh, the transmitted signal that gets through the receiver to act as a side tone so that you can hear what you're sending. And then when you uh, release the key, it automatically reverts to its uh, turned on state. So it short circuits that resistor so you get normal audio through it. Um, again, an example of a uh, relatively clever um, circuit that works extremely well with uh, only a few components. There's another little subtlety in there too. C24 on the gate of the FET um, slows down the response just a little bit so that you don't get a loud thump, a turn on, turn off thump from the, uh, from the mute switch, which you get in some, uh, some radios that don't properly handle uh, break-in keying. So that's that. And if you, if you want to, uh, um, another add-on you might want to do if you want to drive a speaker, it's recommended that you use another op-amp that's intended to drive a low impedance speaker to uh, give you a higher output level because the stock SW30 will not uh, drive a speaker to very high uh, output levels. It's not intended to do that. So uh, another add-on uh, thing that you might want to uh, stick in series there is a uh, NE586 uh, 386 or uh, other audio amplifier to, uh, to give you more steam. And uh, uh, that's, that's it for the, uh, the audio chain. Um, do we have any questions about that in particular? And then I'll open it up to uh, questions in general. Mike, do you have anything more to say about the, uh, the audio chain here? No, I think you got it pretty good. Okay, yeah, I didn't try to go into an ex extreme detail of the circuit theory that is covered in the David Eck uh, uh, treatise, and uh, he does an excellent job of it. Okay, any um, questions or comments in general about uh, anything we've covered tonight? Um, anything I we can clarify or uh, uh, go ahead? I was just thinking when you were talking about the, the product detector in there, I've kind of got an interest in, in minimalist kinds of design. And uh, so I've looked at lots of circuitry of uh, using the, the smallest number of components to uh, to make a receiver. And I'm sure you've seen them in, in all kinds of places, in popular uh, electronics kinds of places. But uh, you can use the whole, the, uh, the 512 as a, uh, a single chip receiver in the sense that you can put the RF in that you that you show in the, in the discussion there, uh, right into the detector and use the oscillator as your 
uh, your VFO and get audio out of it all in one chip, and, except that you need an awful lot of audio gain uh, after that, too, because you've done so little uh, amplification before that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, one of the ideas that uh, you're absolutely right, one of the ideas that George and I have been kicking around is kind of a um, simplified universal direct conversion receiver where, um, you know, the guts would be a standard circuit, something like this. And then um, uh, the ability to put other input tuning circuitry and either a VFO or a, a crystal oscillator, put a crystal right on the 612 and have kind of a general purpose, uh, do it on whatever frequency, um, however you want to do it, receiver uh, as a possibility. Um, I like doing those things myself. I like simple little things that are building blocks to put into uh, into other projects. Any other uh, questions or uh, comments? Okay, hearing none, I think I will um, I'll wrap it up for the evening. Thank you all for participating. Um, covered a lot of ground here tonight. We started off with um, something I was unfortunately unable to participate in, the addition of uh, video uh, via Zoom to, uh, to the show. A uh, number of folks, I understand, have uh, fired their Zoom up and gotten it working so that you can actually see who's... Uh, who's out there listening and, uh, and who's talking. And George has also used it uh, as a tool to be able to demonstrate uh, um, what he's doing there on the bench. Um, we talked about um, additions to, uh, uh, to the SW30 in terms of uh, more things you can add on to, uh, to extend its usefulness. And uh, that's going to be an ongoing thing with, uh, with more links to uh, um, other projects, other add-ons as uh, things come along. Uh, I spoke briefly about um, uh, one small aspect of the SW30, how to tweak the VFO on frequency and uh, how much tuning range you have without having to change any components. Kind of minor, but it's, uh, you know, a little little thing to put in your in your toolbox as you go along. And uh, George talked about, uh, well, actually Craig talked about his um, his keyer, the very simple keyer that uh, is an add-on that uh, is going to be offered for uh, sale by the four states QRP. Handy addition to uh, add uh, automatic keyer to the uh, to the SW30. And uh, George mentioned, talked about, and demonstrated a uh, really cool uh, digital signal processing filter available from Soda Beams. That um, that's another gadget that some of you might want to uh, put into uh, into your SW30 as we go along. And then finally, we uh, we talked about um, the audio section of the uh, SW30, a, a brief description of what it does, um, what uh, what's involved in it, uh, what the various stages are, and the highlights of uh, the operation to uh, kind of close things out for uh, for the audio chain and uh, next time we'll we'll try to get some uh, transmit audio out um any final questions or uh, comments before uh, before we close the show for the evening okay hearing none um up oh, go ahead somebody uh, key the mic 
Oh, me again. I was. This is completely off topic, but while I've got you, uh, I was looking at uh, perhaps getting one of the uh, NUE PSK digital modems, and I noticed that there was an upgrade to it about 15 months ago, and I wondered if there was any plans for any further upgrades. Jay, that would be George Bailey. George's bailiwick, I'm afraid I can't answer that. Uh, you might drop a note and say, I, I think he was going to add some other modulation modes, but uh, I'm not sure that uh, how well that came along. Drop him a note, and I'm sure uh, he'll get back to you on that. Thanks yeah, for yeah. asking. Sure, thanks. Um, yeah, it's a shame he wasn't able to handle that. I'm, I'm sure he'd be, uh, be pleased to talk about it. Thank you very much all for uh, participating this evening. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show. We're trying to add uh, new and better things, expand uh, expand the coverage of what we talk about, and to, uh, to add more involvement and uh, some video to what's going on to uh, keep interest up and uh, to make it more interesting. Uh, we'll see you all in two weeks. Thank you very much, and uh, have a good evening. 7-3.